This week on In the Ring, we have Nathan and Sam. They're neighbors, but are having some issues with lawn care. Now, Nathan, let's try to use some I feel statements to convey your feelings to Sam instead of using you statements that tend to place blame. Do you think you could try that? Whatever. Okay, then. Let's begin. Hey, Sam. Whoa. What? You never weed your side of the fence, and it's all spreading into my yard. Oops, oops, oops. I heard a you statement. Let's try it again, Nathan, but this time use I feel. Well, Sam, I feel like you're doing it on purpose. Yeah, well, I feel like I have because you didn't invite me to your barbecue last year. Well, I feel like you're not any fun, and I wanted to have a fun barbecue last year. I feel like you're a jerk. I feel like you ought to move away. Oh, 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 let's stop right there. I feel like you are not getting the concept here. Well, now I feel like you're judging me. Whoa, judging you? What do you mean, judging you? I'm just trying to help you. I feel like I won this argument. Oh, and you know what else I feel? I feel like I wouldn't want to live next to you or you. <laughs> well, good morning, everyone, and welcome. Yes, we can clap for them. Yes, we can. <laughs> good morning, and welcome to Hosanna, the place where you can learn how not to handle conflict. My name is Julia Holtz. I am the spiritual formation pastor here, and I am so glad to be with you. I want to say a special welcome to my friends at the Shakopee campus. It's always great to be with you as well, to be together. And then I also want to welcome those of you who are joining us online all around the world. I heard yesterday we have somebody watching every week from Korea. We say hello to you and to everyone else. We believe the Lord led you here, and so we are so glad to be together. So we are in the middle of a series, as you can see, we have our boxing ring on stage that is called In the Ring. We are talking about conflict and how to work through it. And I I was thinking about some conflict in my life and a great piece of advice that I was given actually 25 years into my marriage. Had I heard this piece of advice, it would have solved a lot of conflict a lot earlier. So let me just tell you the backdrop to it. So my husband John and I, we were married very young. And and we had this similar pattern throughout all the years. And it was this. We would be heading to a party. And John would turn to me and he'd say, So, how long do you think we're going to stay? Now, all the introverts who are hearing me are nodding, going, Absolutely a reasonable question. All the extroverts will know why I answered the way I did. I would turn and I'd say, I don't know. How am I supposed to know who's going to be there? I might be having fun. Do we always have to put limits on how long we're going to stay at a party? Okay? So this happened repeatedly. Variations on the same theme in all different ways. 25 years into our marriage, we met with Jennifer Ford. Jennifer is a leader here at the church. She's a past president. She is a a coach. She's also a guru on strengths assessments, you know, the strengths finders. Many of you have taken that. And so we thought it'd be fun to meet with her and learn from her. Within minutes of, of her looking at our assessments, she knew nothing about our background. She looked at me and she said, I just have one piece of advice. And I said, what's that? And she said, Always drive to parties separately. (laughs) Wow. Had I known that, we could have solved a lot of problems earlier. So that's my big piece of advice. It was worth the price of admission coming to Hosanna today. In all seriousness, the point is that conflict is normal. All of us have conflict. 
We all are different from one each other, one another. We see things differently. And so whether it's marriages or families or friendships or neighborhoods or workplaces, we have conflict. So the question isn't, do you have conflict? The question is, how do you handle conflict? Because the way we handle it makes all the difference. Handling conflict can be either constructive or it can be destructive. And we have to learn the constructive way. Think about, let's talk about marriages for a minute. Have you heard that there have been many studies done that have shown that, con- that those who say they have a happy marriage don't necessarily have any less conflict than those who have unhappy marriages. They just together know how to work through the conflict. In fact, the state of Minnesota is so serious about this, they give a significant discount on a marriage license if a couple, as they're getting ready to get married, will do two things. If they will take an assessment and see a coach on communication and conflict resolution. They know that makes the big difference. So learning how to handle conflict makes a difference in our relationships, even makes a difference in our own happiness. But here's the problem. Most of us have no clue how to handle conflict. We didn't necessarily grow up in homes that modeled it. Past generations didn't know how, and they didn't necessarily study it. And so for many of us, we have not seen it modeled in a healthy way. In fact, most of us only know of two options. See if you can relate to one of these. Some of us grew up in a home where when you face conflict, you avoid it. It's the avoider. You avoid it at all costs. And supposedly, that brings peace. But it doesn't, does it? Because inside, we're still struggling. We're seething. We're angry. And so what happens is over time, we increasingly distance ourselves from that other person. So avoiding conflict is not constructive. It is destructive to a relationship. Now, others of us have learned a different way. I'm calling it the street fighter way of going into conflict. We are reactionary, impulsive. It is about powering up. It's about territory. It's about defending And you know what? In that street fighter way, there's always a winner and a loser. But no matter what happens, we all walk away feeling broken and bruised. Can you relate to these two options? Some of us waffle between the two because we get tired of the street fighter and avoid. If that's you, I have good news for you today. The Bible describes something very different. The Bible has a lot to say about conflict, and it describes a better way, a third option, a better way of handling conflict. And we can learn about this together, and it can make a difference. Think about it. The difference between the street fighter and the professional boxer in the boxing ring is one major thing. The boxer has trained, has prepared has learned the steps, how to bob and weave. And the boxer has learned the rules of the ring. Things like you can't hit with your head or your elbow. I've learned a lot about boxing through this series. You can't can't use the ropes as leverage to overpower your opponent. You can't hit below the belt where your opponent is at its weakest. 
The boxer knows the rules and knows the steps to have a fair fight. That's the difference between the boxer and the street fighter. So that's what we're going to look at today. I am excited to bring to you five biblical steps toward healthy conflict. It, I, I think they will make a significant difference. Now, I've gotten some of these from a series called You Make Me Crazy out of Saddleback Church. I, I watched that. If you want to go deeper on this, they did a whole series on healthy relationships. And so take a look at that at some point. Saddleback, You Make Me Crazy. But I've gotten some of this from that. But I'm going to give you five steps. And if you are not someone who takes notes normally, uh, for the first time, I'm going to encourage you to take notes. Because I so believe that if we take these steps, they're super practical. But if we take them and actually begin to practice them in our homes, in our relationships, in our friendships, we will see a difference. We will begin to see healthier relationships and we ourselves will become healthier and more whole people. So let's get started with these five steps. We're going to start with the first one. I am going to be traveling around the Bible with you, showing you different verses to bring these steps together. So if you are not familiar with the Bible, I'm going to have them up on the screen. But if you are, see if you can keep up with me. So the first step is this. We need to take the initiative. We need to take the initiative. This comes out of Matthew 5, 23 through 24, and it says this. So, if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. <laughs> That's a big point in the Bible. It is saying that reconciliation and working on relationships is so important that you actually need to do it before coming into the church to worship. It affects how you can worship God. It affects who you are. It's that important. Now, I was going to encourage those of you who are in conflict to get up now and go take care of that, but please don't. Stay right here because I want you to hear all five steps and then after the service consider going and doing that. The point is, we need to take the initiative with conflict. Now, I thought that I was only talking to the avoiders in the audience, but, but I'm actually talking to both the avoiders and the street fighters because both need to learn how to come into the ring and be willing to do it in a healthy way. It takes vulnerability and it takes courage. It takes courage. So where do we get our courage? We go to God. We talked about this a little bit last week. We go to God first. We take the initiative with God first. And we go before him and we just say, Lord, I'm scared. I, I don't know how to do this. I, I, I don't know how to work with this person. And I need your help. You promise to help me. God, will you show us how to do this? Will you come into the middle of this relationship and will you help us? So we go to God first, but then we don't stop there. We go to the person and we say, I want to work through this with you. And we take the initiative. That's the first one. Number two is this. We're going to look at the, the book of James. And we talked a bit about this last week, but the second one is this. Confess your part. 
Confess your part. If you did not see last week's message, I encourage you to watch it. Because when we have conflict, the first place we need to look, first God, and then we look at ourselves. So listen to our theme verse for the series. It's this, James 4.1, and it says, What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Is it everybody else? No. Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You have to be in humility, willing to look at yourself first. Even if you think the other person is 99% wrong, own your 1%. Own it. Look at it. What can you learn from it? And then don't stop there. Go to the person and say, okay, this is what I'm learning. I, I blew it here. This is what's happening to me. And own it and confess it to them, your part. Hear me on this. The blame game will never work. It will never work. But coming and confessing your part will diffuse conflict faster than anything else you can imagine. So we need to confess our part. That's number two. Okay, let's look at number three. We need to listen and validate. We need to listen and validate the other person. James 1.19 says this, Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. We need to be able to go to the person and listen to them. I'm going to give you a great phrase. Write this down. To simply say, help me understand. Help me understand what you're thinking, what you're feeling. Help me understand. And then we lean in and we listen. We don't just wait for them to get done so we can make our point. No, we listen and then we repeat back to them. Here's what I heard you say. We practice this in our pre-marriage courses, in our rebuilders course. We practice these things because it's not necessarily natural. But we need to learn to listen. And, and here's the cool thing about learning to listen, is that not only is it kind and respectful to the other person, but guess what? You might just grow from it too. Let me give you an example coming from my party example at the beginning of the message. Now, I'm a little embarrassed to say this, but again, I was a young bride. My brain was not fully developed yet. So with that in mind, I had this thought that, that introverts would rather be extroverts. They just don't know how. Okay, don't throw anything at me, introverts. That was my assumption. Why wouldn't everyone want to be just like me? Okay, yes, it was very arrogant. Through the decades, as I have learned to listen to my husband, here's what I've learned. Introverts are not party poopers. They're just pooped by the party, okay? Have you heard that? They are not party poopers. They just get pooped by the party. So my husband loves parties. He's actually very fun. He likes people. But when he would turn to me and he would ask, how long are we going to stay? He wasn't trying to rain on my parade. He wasn't trying to reel in my fun. He was literally trying to figure out, how long will I need to sustain my energy so that I can make it through the party? Okay, this would have never dawned on me. I am an extrovert who gets energized by people. Can you tell? I learned from my husband, and it brought humility to me. 
And it brought, I am far less judgmental. And guess what? I'm a better mom because God gave me two daughters, one introvert, one extrovert. And so I can work with both of them. Do you see how listening and validating is not only good for the other person, it's good for you and it's good for your relationship. That's number three. We listen and we validate. Now we're going to go to number four. And number four comes out of Ephesians, and it is this. We need to speak with love. We need to speak with love. And the verse that I'm looking for is this, Ephesians 4.15, and it says, Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ. We speak the truth in love. Did you notice that this one comes after listening? Because the person needs to feel heard in order to feel loved. And so we need to learn how to speak with love and we need to actually check our own hearts. Do I love this person? Am I feeling love for this person right now? And if not, if you're feeling rage, it is okay to say, I need to take a little time out. (laughs) And then you go back to God and you say, God, help me with my heart. Help me to love. Just make sure then you come back, take the initiative. But take a time out. And then we also need to carefully think about the words we use. There are rules in the ring. No harsh language. No name-calling No focusing, no uh, hitting below the belt and going for their weakness. We need to think about the words and speak with love. Now, I've heard some people say, you know what, that's just who I am. It's the house I grew up in. This is just how I talk, and and they're just going to have to get used to it. I don't mean half of what I say. It doesn't really matter. Can I just gently say to you, would you consider that there's a better way? that maybe that isn't who God created you to be. Maybe we know the difference that a relationship with Jesus Christ makes, and he's willing to work with you and help you, and you can get help. You do not have to be like that. We need to learn to speak with love, even especially in the midst of conflict. Okay, now we're going to look at number five, and and this kind of encompasses the whole, uh, all four steps, and it is this. It's an important one. It says, value the relationship more than being right. Value the relationship more than being right. Take a look at this verse from Philippians 2, 3, and 4. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, In humility, hear that humility word, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. I'm going to try and say this as kindly as I can, but your opinion cannot be more important than your relationship. It can't. You've got to learn to lay your opinion down. No one on earth will agree with everything you think and say. We are all different. But can you learn to be in a relationship with someone who thinks differently than you? We need to be able to say, I value this relationship more than being right. 
I, I think out of all of the steps, this was the biggest game changer for me. I remember hearing it 10 years ago. I was in a seminary class, and they talked about what is your goal? Is your goal to be right, or is your goal to be in a relationship? And my mouth dropped. I had never heard anything like that. I had only known conflict as having winners and losers. That's all I knew it as. And I thought, wow, do you mean I can focus on the relationship and not having it be about me winning and being right, massively changed the way I look at things. So I want to ask you, what's more important to you, the relationship or being right? Go into your relationships, go into your marriage, your extended families, your neighborhoods, and be willing to say, you are important to me. I just had this happen recently. I was, there was someone I was working with, and we had some conflict one day. Yes, it happens at the church, too. And, and the next day, I was going and meeting with some people to learn more about this topic of conflict. You're going to meet them in a minute. And they began telling me that, you know what, when you blow it, they didn't know anything about my discussion. You can always go back and debrief. I thought, that's cool. And so I went back to the office, and I just said, you know what, can we meet for a few minutes? And I just said, I need you to know you're important to me. And I care about you, and this relationship is important. And, and then I went to confess. Here's what I did. I didn't feel good about it. And I went through the steps. It made all the difference in the world. So these are the five steps. And I want to say them again for you because I want you to hear them in order so that you can go home and begin practicing this. Number one, we need to take the initiative. Number two, we need to confess our part. Own it and confess it. Number three, we need to listen and validate. Number four, we need to speak with love. And ultimately, in humility, we need to, to value the relationship more than being right. Now, I could stop there, and I know that that would give you lots to work with, real practical, but I also know that there are some listening who are saying, yeah, I've tried those. And, and, and I, I'm trying to make it work and it's not working. I'm stuck. If that's you, I want to give you some more information. And here's what I've decided to do. I'm going to bring up some experts on this topic who know about conflict. This is Dr. Rose and Dr. Jim Busher. They are, uh, doc, uh, Dr. Busher, Dr. Jim was a pastor on staff here for a long time, but he recently joined his wife who founded Life Development Resources, a counseling clinic. So will you help me welcome Jim and Rose to the stage? <laughs> Hi, you guys. Thank you for being here. Welcome. You work with conflict on a daily basis, and I'm so, so grateful that you're here with us. So, and Jim, I just got to start with you. You were the first person I have ever heard say, I love conflict. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Will you describe that and explain that a little bit? Sure. Uh, some of the very best growth that God has produced in me has happened through conflict. Mm -hmm. And in fact, when I'm doing well spiritually, I just know, I anticipate what God is going to refine within me. I think that conflict is God's great laboratory for growth. And I've asked actually thousands of people that, when have you grown most in terms of character? Is it when things are going good or when they're tough? And everyone, almost without exception, has said it's in those tough times. 
So actually, I hope it's a result of this series that we're doing on conflict here that you can leave here today and go, oh boy, I can't wait for my next conflict. (laughs) (laughs) So Jim, though, you haven't always been like that. How did you come to that place? Uh, It's taken decades and I'm still working on it, but really it's by a lot what you said, Julia. Uh, There are times when even if I'm only 1% at fault in it, I try to ground myself in God's grace and I say to myself, uh, I have issues. So I, I try that, and as a minute that someone's gloves comes up against me, I play it through my brain. Uh, I have issues. Even if it's really not totally fair, uh, I want to ground myself because there's some truth in what they're saying. For me, the first step of freedom is really that. Mm-hmm. I just simply want to say, you know what, I have issues, and then I don't have to get defensive. So I'd actually like to invite you into that. Uh, just say, will you please, I have issues. Isn't that freeing? (laughs) So next time somebody attacks you, you can put down the gloves and get ready to listen, take a deep deep breath, and wait for what God wants to do. Oh, that's so good. Thank (laughs) you. That's good. Rose, okay, let's say we are knowing that we have issues. We also know the forgiveness and the grace of Jesus Christ, and we are walking through our steps, but we're still stuck. What do you tell your clients? What are some things that you work on with them? The most common obstacle for resolving conflict is a dysregulated brain, a brain in a fight and flight response. So we have many parts to our brain, and one of the parts is the emotional center of the brain. So when there's a real or perceived threat, that emotional center of the brain gets triggered. And then we start thinking and doing things that we really don't want to think and do. So in that real or perceived threat, the emotional part of the brain is actually singling uh, danger, danger, danger. And at that point, it releases chemicals into the body, such as adrenaline. And so basically, you've now been triggered. So when the emotional part of the brain is active, the decision-making and problem-solving part of the brain gets shut down. And with that part of the brain, it gets shut down. Then we feel ourselves trapped in a very narrow perspective of maybe that will help us feel safe, such as I'm right and you're wrong. Yeah. Have you ever been in a fight with a friend or a spouse and you literally cannot remember one good thing about them? Basically what's happening is the emotional side of your brain has shut down that decision-making and problem-solving part of your brain. So having a calm brain is the less likely to throw you into that fight-or-flight response. So literally, when we go into conflict, you're saying that something happens in our brain, we go to this place where we honestly can't be thinking straight, but we need to calm our brain. So how do we calm our brain? Good question. There are many ways. The easiest way is slow, deep breaths. You can do that at any time. There's other ways, too, such as uh, intense exercise, listening to music, praying, And we just encourage you to be creative in your own life. What will calm your brain? Uh, We have a six-year-old granddaughter, like most six-year-olds, doesn't always have a calm brain. And like some -some 60-some-year-olds, doesn't always have a calm brain. So we made up a song for her, and we are not professional singers. Just warning you, and we're going to sing it for you now. Calm, calm, calm my brain when I want to scream. Merrily, 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 now my brain is calm. 
Your singing debut, well done, well done. So, Rose, we've calmed our brain. Now what? Okay, you need this calm brain, and then and only then can you look at your thought patterns and your behavioral patterns that uh, can play into unresolved conflict. Like if you're in a work conflict, you're not going to be running around the office singing Calm My Brain song, and you probably aren't going to be running for intense exercise, but you always can do those calm, deep breaths. So then you're going to look then with a calm brain at thought patterns and behavioral patterns. And thought patterns are what we say to ourselves about ourselves, and the thought patterns follow the the behavioral patterns follow our thought patterns. And those thought and behavioral patterns are often deeply rooted in childhood and learned there and then played out over and over. Oh. Yeah. So we have thoughts that come actually from childhood. Give some examples of what that might look like. Some of them are common ones are I'm unlovable, I'm inadequate, I'm insignificant, I'm not worthy, uh, I'm weak. And uh, these are what we think about ourselves when we're in conflict. Not what we think about the other person, what we think about ourselves. So we're in conflict, and we're immediately thinking it's the other person's fault, but actually we need to stop and go, what's going on inside? Because our behavior comes out of what's being triggered in us. So what kind of behaviors do you see when you're triggered? Common ones are once you're triggered is attack, blame, criticize, defend, scream, or shut down. So when and you can look at when and where do those patterns come from. It really helps to know where did you learn those patterns, from whom did you learn those patterns, because that takes away the shame. But knowing those patterns gives the direction for healing, and it gives the direction for successful conflict resolution. I know you guys have learned a lot. You've been to school. You're both doctors. But I also know you've worked through conflict in your own marriage. Can you use that as an example and say, how does this all work? Uh, For almost 43 years now, our best learning has happened between the two of us, and I think not from books. But we both came out of our childhood with uh, just a sense of a low self-esteem. And the way that would play out for me is, in that rare event, Rose could find something to be critical of me about. (laughs) Uh, And and she would mention that. Then on the pattern, on the thoughts, uh, deep down, it took years to get understand what that was. But I was just saying, uh, if she is critical of me, I am unlovable. And when that happened, I would shut down. And when Jim would shut down, I would feel rejected. And then I would think, I'm unlovable. And then it spiraled downward. So I had to change the thought pattern that from the negative one to a positive one and had to begin saying to myself, though I have issues, I am lovable in Jesus. And that allowed me to be calm and to listen and to engage again. And then I would have to think, even if he rejects me and shuts down, I am still lovable in Jesus. Oh, that's so good, you guys. And, and I know this could be a whole new concept for many people here. I know for me, it's something I've worked on for years, but even after meeting with you guys last week, I was finding, oh, what's being triggered here? And I t- took time to think about it. So what would you recommend to people as they're just embarking on this? What are things they can do? Here's the freedom question. Okay. When your spouse, child, friend, coworker, boss uh, triggers big feelings, feelings on a 10-point scale, a 10. And then, and when it triggers that, those patterns within you of attack, blame, criticize, defend, shut down, or, or yell, 
then what would God like you to believe about yourself in that moment? What do you want to believe about yourself? It's, and finish this sentence. I am lovable, competent, significant, strong, or worthy. Which one of those would you really want to focus on so that when you go into a conflict, you on your side of the conflict will be more effective? We want to just give you a minute to look through these. Uh, which one is most difficult for you? Uh, that is usually one that's going to be most helpful for you in a conflict. Uh, I am lovable, I'm competent, I'm significant, I'm strong, I'm worthy. What would help you to replay the negative pattern and now turn it into a positive one? In fact, I want you to say this out loud. We want to, the thought patterns actually get ingrained as we can practice it together. I began by having you say, I have issues. Okay? We want to complete that now. Though I have issues, I, have issues. I am lovable, or whatever the word is for you. Let's do that one again, okay? Though I have issues, though I have issues, I am, I am lovable. Through Jesus. Yes, okay. so through Amen. Jesus, we are all of these things, and we can pay attention to what one is not, uh, is not resonating with us and say, okay, where is this going? And we can work on that together. Well done. Like that. So, we are only scratching the surface. You work with clients for months, day, years, all that stuff. We are just scratching the surface. There's so much. If there was anything you could say to them, what's one more thing that you would want them to know? Get help if you get stuck. Just like in the boxing ring, there's a coach, there's a trainer, uh, there's a referee, and there's an audience cheering you on. When you're stuck in conflict, find somebody to come alongside of you. You do not have to do this alone. There's hope. Oh, that's so good. We do not have to do this alone. I encourage you to take out your programs. We have some great resources on the back of that that will tell you some different things. Things like we have a phenomenal course here called Rebuilders. Rebuilders is it works with couples that are just wanting more, but also those who are really having troubles, and it, and it walks through it. We, this, this summer, we will be starting actually some small groups that are doing Rebuilders together with mentors and people who can help you work on this. So check that out. We also have a list of counselors that we recommend, some different offices. Life Development is one, and we have a couple of others that we mention. And I just cannot say enough about working through uh, through some issues with a counselor. Many years ago, I called my sister and I said, do I need a counselor? And she said, you know, Julia, you don't, not, not everybody needs a counselor, but everyone will benefit from a counselor. And she was so right. It has been life-changing for me to work with a good counselor through the things that I just couldn't see myself. So there's counseling, there's conferences, there's all sorts of things. But the point is, don't do this alone. You don't have to. This is what the church is about. We do this together, and we figure it out together. There's always hope through Jesus Christ. Amen. So here's what I'd like to do to close, is I would love to have Jim, Pastor Jim pray for all of us. And so uh, let's do that. Why don't you two come on out front? And here's what I want to ask, both here at Shakopee and here, as well as anywhere you are in homes. If you are someone who either you have a relationship that's in conflict, or you know you care deeply for someone that is going through conflict, would you please stand? We want to pray for those relationships today. Would you please stand? Well done. If that is not a picture, the conflict is normal. <laughs> but there's way, there's hope. So, Jim, would you pray into these relationships? Let's pray. 
Father, thank you so much for creating a safety for us to know we have issues. In the Bible, you call it sin. We don't need to be afraid of it. We need to own it because you have done all that needed to be done to take care of it for us. I pray in those moments when uh, our brains are dysregulated, at the very moment that we want to take up the gloves and defend or attack, that you will break through by the grace and the freedom and the love of your Holy Spirit and remind us of who we are in you. We're lovable. We're competent. Whatever the word was that we chose, and sear that deeply in our spirit that we can hear and anticipate the growth that you want to produce. Thank you so much for being a loving God. And you who began a good work in us, you will bring it to completion. We leave with that confidence today. Thank you. We look forward to the next conflict that we're going to get into. We claim that in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Now, yes, we can. Now I invite you at both campuses to everyone, please stand for a final blessing. Will you receive this blessing? And I do want to remind you, as always, we have our prayer ministers up front as well as in the back uh, prayer room. This is a, a topic that we can all use prayer on, so come for prayer. But now receive this blessing. May the Father who loves you and the Son who promises to bring peace and the Holy Spirit who will guide you May he lead you, even this week, in and through conflict to a beautiful new way and a new relationship with others. We pray this all in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Have a great week. We will look forward to seeing you next week for the last session of In the Ring.